With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Hey, one of the best ways to support us, besides telling everyone you know about us, is by listening on the Radio Public app. When you listen there, we get paid. And the app's tip button lets you leave us a tip of any amount up to $100. Major shout out and thank you to the individuals who left us our first two tips. We promise to spend it wisely. I was walking through Times Square in New York when I saw a massive billboard with a face whose powerful expression was so striking it stopped me cold. Then I noticed the name, Jillian Mercado. So I googled her, naturally. I learned that she's been the face for Target, Nordstrom, and Beyonce campaigns. I also learned that she was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy as a kid, and she's part of a wave of models and inclusivity activists who are opening up the fashion industry and our minds to the many ways a person's character, gifts, and spirit can be expressed. Jillian, I love that I said to you, oh, I saw your billboard in Times Square. And what was your response, Jillian? I said, which which one? <laughs> which billboard? <laughs> How surreal is that? That specific billboard you're talking about, I told my little sister to come with me to like see it for the first time and to record my reaction because I knew I was going to black out. That's exactly what happened. So if you watch the video, I'm just like, oh, my God, oh, my God. But really, I don't know what happened until I was out of Times Square. It was so surreal because my face was like 50 feet high. It was crazy. Yeah, it was huge. It was high. And it's your city. And it's where it was born. I know. I remember my first time coming to Times Square when I was like five or six. And it was during the time that they had a huge cup noodles in the middle of Times Square. And so that was like my first memory of Times Square. And just to see my face there years later, it's like, whoa, it's awesome. Growing up, were you a fashionable kid? You know, it's funny you say that because I remember all my teachers going, ooh, you look so cute today, or like telling me, oh, my God, I love your style. 
but like it never clicked to me that I was fashionable. It was just always like, oh, yeah, my mom. Because <laughs> did you put yourself together or did your mom put you together? When I was younger, I feel like I was her Barbie doll. <laughs> she was like, go shopping like crazy or make clothes. I remember my mom making clothes when I was younger. Yeah, because you come from a family where fashion in some ways is a thing, right? Both your yeah. parents. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know it was a thing until I knew it was a thing. But my mom... I clearly remember her, like, sewing her life away when I was younger. She was a seamstress. She was a seamstress. She told me that she was, like, seven months pregnant with me, and she was, like, still in the factory sewing clothes. So she's like, even before you were born, you were in the fashion world. And then my dad always worked at shoe stores, so he would bring for my mom's shoes. So I would know, like, designers at, like, 10, 11, not knowing that, you know, these are, like, the maker of these shoes, but, like, I knew the brand name or I knew the designer. So it was always an interest to me. My my mom always said, you know, even your two younger sisters weren't as interested as, like, what I was doing and what your father was doing more than you were. And when did you realize that fashion could be a career? I think I was in high school, and, you know, you you go through that, like, Second where you're like, okay, what's going to be my life after this now? And a friend at the time was like, have you heard about FIT, which is a college in New York City called Fashion Institute of Technology? And I was like, no, what is this? She's like, oh, my God, I think you would love this school because it's like very you. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I went to a tour and it just felt right. Like everything was like, oh, to me. And just kind of felt like home. And, like, the whole industry, I've always, like, loved seeing runway shows on TV or, like, collecting magazines. That was, like, my thing. But in my mind, I thought that was more of a hobby. I was like, oh, well, I guess I have to be a doctor, which is, like, every Latino family wants their kids (laughs) to be, like, doctors or lawyers. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to be a lawyer now. But then I'm like, wait, I can go into the career that I actually love. And were your parents supportive of that? They were. They were, well, my mom always told me as a very Latina girl, she's like, as long as you love what you do, that's all that matters and I'll support you. But just know that specifically for you, it's going to be 10 times harder. And what do you think she meant by that? My mom, I think, knew from the jump that I was a very spicy, like determined, super stubborn person. She told me, she's like, I had a feeling that whatever you pick as your career or as your life agenda, that you wouldn't let it go no matter, like, what obstacles you were in your way. So I had to tell you at a young age, it's not going to be easy. Like, I love you and everything, but, like, the real real is that things will not be easy for you because this world isn't as accepting for people who have disabilities. And mine is a very visual, very prominent, you'll see it from across the street, disability. So she's like, even before people will know your name, they'll know you have a disability. So for someone who's not sitting here with you, which, by the way, you've got, like, I, this is always what happens to me with fashion people, which is, like, let me tell you, I am in disgusting sneakers, oh, a please. pair of jeans, and a black T-shirt. And Jillian is here in an adorable outfit. Like, first of all, just your haircut by itself, just the pixie cut that, like, very few people can pull off. The hat, the jean jacket, the T-shirt. I mean, it's just, like, it's a look. Uh, but what you're referring to is that from down the block, what someone sees is the wheelchair. Yes. So when you were little, you were diagnosed, but you were misdiagnosed. Mm -hmm. So what was the original diagnosis? According to my mom, and again, I love her and everything, but I feel like she spiced up the story a little bit, as all all Dominicans do. But, um, you know, you want to put the sasong in the, you know, the storytelling. Yeah, don't make it boring. Come on. I know. Someone once told me in this I love. (laughs) 
Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. No. <laughs> Not good for journalists, good for storytellers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I guess that's considered fake news now. <laughs> so my mom uh, told me, because, you know, as you, you know, when you enter the world of realization and, and knowing that you're like, oh, okay, well, the world is not that accepting of me. Cool. Now what? Why? Um, and I was a very curious child when I was younger. I asked him, like, well, what did happen? And she was like, well, my pregnancy was absolutely fine till I popped out. And she said that the doctor dislocated my hip coming out. And then they didn't know things were wrong until I was like six months old or like three months old where you're supposed to crawl. And I was just not crawling. She was like, you were a very quiet child. You never crawled. You never cried. And for your first child, you're like, wait, comparing it to like her friend's children or my aunt's children. She's like, I felt something was going on, but it didn't click to me until somebody was like, you should take her to the hospital and see what's going on. But they told my mom that I had cerebral palsy. Can you explain what that is? And for those of you who do not know, cerebral palsy is mostly a defect in your brain. So there's people that literally can't talk or can't move. It affects the brain more than anything. And my mom was like, well, okay. Well, first of all, my mom came to America when she was 19, and she had no English at all in her. So as an immigrant, for an American doctor to tell her that, what is she going to say no? (laughs) She doesn't know. So she was like, okay. So I lived my whole life until maybe I was like 14 or 13, thinking that I had cerebral palsy. And also, side, side note, I was never really interested in my disability, even though I was, like, the only one in my classroom who had a visible uh, disability. I was never really interested in, like, knowing more just because, in my mind, it just didn't affect me at all. I was like, okay, well, I'm different. Well, okay, that person has blonde hair and I have brunette hair. But that's how, like, I saw my disability as just, like, an added, like, accessory. Not that it was, like, extremely different and something to be concerned of and all of that. One random day at a doctor's visit, I went, and there's times where the doctor goes outside. And me being nosy, I was like, oh, let me see what the doctor wrote about me. And it said spastic muscular dystrophy as a diagnosis of my disability. And I was like, wait, what? So then when the doctor came back, I'm like, hey, I just wanted to know why. Do you, I think you might have my the files wrong or you misdiagnosed me writing my file and he was like no this is what you have and I'm like wait no because my whole life I thought I had CP and everything made sense from there on how so well it's a completely different disability altogether for me personally it affects more my tendons than anything else there's other people that affects more their muscles there's other people that are in different condition as I am there's different stages I still till today don't know what stage I am because, again, with the mindset like, well, I've been living my whole life, you know, uh, fine. More than fine. So you go to FAT. The point wasn't to be a model. It was you did marketing originally, right? Yeah. Yeah. For four years, I studied uh, merchandising management at FIT. My mindset was I'm going to work as an editor at a fashion magazine. Like magazines were my thing. What was your favorite magazine growing up? Oh, man. The funny thing about what I'm about to say next is that then I was on the cover of it last month. But, um, you know, um, Teen Vogue. I collected so much Teen Vogue when I was younger or Cosmo Girl, if 
anybody out there remembers that magazine. Also, W Magazine, which are very heavy and huge. I would collect those magazines to a point where I had maybe 70 magazines in my little room, which... Growing up in a Latin, Latin house, that is a no. That is a big no to hoard magazines because my mom one day threw all those magazines on the floor and she's like, this is a problem. <laughs> I wanted to work in one of those like magazines. So I was like gearing myself to that. And then here's my question about going to FIT, which yes. is especially in sort of this Instagram generation, there are a lot of people who are self-styled stylists, fashionistas, self-styled makeup art. I mean, you see a lot of creatives that come up now through social media platforms. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that type of formal education in fashion is important? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I owe a lot of my success through going through FIT because they kind of teach you what the real, real. Because one day, like Instagram can die. I bless every day that I did go through that because it gives you like the business aspect. And that's kind of... I knew that fashion was already tough in general, but it was going to be like a hundred times tougher for me because fashion is a very like microscopic, only outer layer kind of business. And I'm like, well, there's like a million layers to me. So great. The first thing they're going to see is my disability, not the fact that I, you know, I studied my ass off for it or that I did like a million internships during my college. There was at one point that I had two internships and going to college at the same time because I knew that I had to like really work hard to not only impress those people, but impress myself that I'm worthy to be there. And there were a million challenges throughout the way, but I knew like I am stubborn as hell. And it has to do a lot with me being Latina. We're very like driven to, you know, success and to prove to people that you're as equal as they are. And we use the things that we're not privileged to be privileged, if that makes sense. Give me an example. For example, I lived with my mom at the time. So that really helped me economically so that I can have two internships and go to school at the same time. Right. Which with other people who would live in the dorms or live in an apartment, they would have to work. And work meaning like a nine to five, waiting tables or, or doing like retail. I took that disadvantage of, you know, maybe not experiencing the college life with like roommates and, and going out, which mind you, I still did. But <laughs> I took that and I was like, how can I put this experience and like make it work so that I can be kind of a little bit of ahead of the game? So the modeling happens on a bit of a lark, which is you submit yourself for an open casting call mm -hmm. for Diesel. Mm -hmm. What pushed you to do that? Well, first, I'm a very adventurous person. So, like, you're like, hey, let's jump off a bridge. I'm like, yeah, how? But, yeah, let's figure out when we're there. Because I throw myself at every opportunity. And prior to seeing that casting call, I always wanted to work with, at the time, the creative director of Diesel, which was Nicola from Manchetti, who, if anybody doesn't know who he is, he... You definitely know Lady Gaga, and he basically helped her do, like, the Kermit the Frog dress or the meat dress or the egg dress or all the, you know, out-of-this-world kind of outfits. I'm never going to be able to eat he, prosciutto ever again because yeah, of that dress. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he was, like, in charge of that. So I always was an, an admirer of his work, and I'm like, one day, like, I, it would be awesome to, like, work with him. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I'll see him at an event. And that's exactly what happened. I saw him in an event. We got along very, very quickly and very well because of our love of dogs. And I was like, 
this guy, he's even more awesome than I thought. So then we exchanged information, and I saw that he posted on Facebook that he was doing a casting call for Diesel, but like the lottery, you know, my mom used to pay yeah. the lottery all the time. Uh-huh. And I'm like, Mom, why are you paying this lottery? Like, Jesus, that's a waste of a dollar. And she would always tell me, well, if you're not in the game, how are you supposed to win? Sounds way, like, crazier in Spanish. But she, <laughs> I was like, you know what? That's actually a really good point. If you're not in there, there's no way of knowing if you're going to get the prize or get, you know, whatever. So a friend at the time was like, you should just do it, Jill. It's not going to cost you anything. So it literally took seven seconds. And at the end of the— So you had your photo taken? No. So you had to submit, like, five of your cutest photos. And I was like, um, easy. No, just kidding. <laughs> but I was like, I was like, okay. And then I looked through, like, my Facebook photos. And I was like, okay, well, this is, like, decent enough. And also during that time, I had a lot of friends who also went to FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology, that they were photographers. So I would, like, be a stand-in model for them. So I had a couple photos. And I'm like, okay, these are really cute. So I submitted those, and there was, like, a questionnaire, I remember. And at the bottom of the questionnaire, and this was something that, like, for me it was funny, but also I didn't realize the impact it has until it had the impact. They asked me, why should we choose you to be in this campaign? And it was supposed to be, like, an essay form or whatever. And I don't know what I was doing. I don't know if it, I was, like, doing homework or something where I needed to rush. And I was like, well, oh, I don't have time for doing this. And in my mind, I was like, but they're not going to pick me. So let me just write whatever. And I wrote, because I want to change the world. And I left it at that and I submitted it. And like two weeks later, someone was like, Jillian? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, hi, this is from Diesel. We want to let you know that you're in like the coming running up to the campaign. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you sure you have the right person? Will you just look at the hair <laughs> on my forearm? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just cold in here. I mean, there's that to know, but like that's that's incredible. Yeah. And then from there, it, my life went 180, completely 180 from that first job. You are now signed with IMG. Correct. Um, they rep models like Gigi Hadid, Miranda Kerr, Carly Kloss. What's it like to be a model to be signed? When that diesel campaign came out, in my mind, I was like, wow, this outpour of love was so much it was like overwhelming in a good way because then I went flashback to when I was younger and collecting these magazines and I never ever saw anyone remotely close that looked like me in these magazines and you want to see representation everywhere but I just didn't see anywhere representation and it was I was so used to that that you don't realize that until you realize that that it's unfair to not have representation when this world is like completely with like beautiful and like different people. You want to see someone that looks like you because that motivates you to become either that person or to become the best person that you can be. And I got a lot of messages from people saying, I didn't think this was even possible. And I was like, I didn't think this was even possible too. I just did it because it was like such a cool opportunity. I honestly didn't think that it was going to be like this major until I got interviews from, like, all different places and people writing to me. Like, I wanted to be a model, but I was scared to be a model because of, like, A, B, and C, the things that already come. It's like a manual that comes to someone who's different who has a disability. It's like this invisible manual. is like, you're not allowed to date. You're not allowed to, like, be fashionable. You're not allowed to have an opinion because you're so different that nobody's going to care. And that's anybody who has a disability can tell you that in some part of their life they felt that way. 
like proven to them, which hurts one and two you're already like trying to figure out life that's like an extra layer of things that you don't want to you know go through that when my babies were going through their exploration stage i had so much to worry about falling over bumping heads what did she just put in her mouth the list was endless but when they were in pamper swaddlers i knew i never had to worry about a leaky diaper Swathers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swathers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swathers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. What does it take to succeed in fashion? What's the skill set you rely on most in your work? Patience and persistence. That's how I've made it thus far, is being very persistent on things that I know that I can accomplish and I can accomplish it better than anybody around me. Not saying I'm the best. Like, you don't want to be Kanye, but you want to be, like, you know, determined that you are, like, the best person for the job or for that thing, for, you know, whatever you're trying to accomplish. And patience, because, again, in the business that I am, I'm a very different color in, you know, in this industry, and I know that it's going to take time even still to adjust not me personally, but other people to adjust to me. Would you ever want to design? Yeah, I think now, more than ever, I would love to do like a capsule collection or a collection with a designer or even my own if I could um, or if I get that opportunity. Because, again, me not focusing too much on my disability when I was younger, there was a lot of things that I was very privileged with as far as like you know, having my sisters around who would help me if I need, like, to tie my shoes for any reason that I couldn't. But I wasn't very knowledgeable that not only are there, like, a million different types of disability, but there's people that can't put regular clothes on. Um, so as I got older and as I became a little bit more independent, I figured, wow, what would happen if, like, there's nobody around me to help me, for example, tie a shoe or whatever? Like, what would happen when I just... 
not tie my shoe and just leave it like that, which is really weird. And then why isn't there a system that I can use or a shoe that I can put on that would be more adaptable to me or to people who have the same disability? And then I was like, wait, there is no one out there who is at all catering to people who may need extra help. Do you follow Nicolette Mason at all? She's one of my favorite fashion bloggers, and she has a um, a line um, she with a Gabby Fresh. Yes. She have a pug. Oh, yes, I love her. Yes, of course I know her. But she talks a lot about the fact that because she loved fashion and she came from a more affluent background, that she was able to conceptualize a consumer like her Mm -hmm. and understand that there was a desire for fashion in size 16 plus that other people weren't seeing and that it was actually sort of an intersection of questions about body image, but also about socioeconomics, Mm -hmm. that there was some sense that the consumer who wasn't fitting in a size eight didn't still want the type of high fashion merchandise that someone who does fit in a size eight wants. And I have to imagine that that's a little bit of what happens here, too. It's honestly the same thing. And it's also like they won't be able to afford it, right? which is interesting because, mind you, side note, there is one billion people in this world who have disabilities. And that's and that a lot number. Of spending power. There's a lot of spending power and there's a lot of like opportunities where designers can like touch that market but nobody has because of the excuse of it's going to cost more money or whatever it's a billion dollars in spending yeah like what (laughs) i'm sorry why are you nobody's tapping into this then i did a whole summer where i just like was completely obsessed with this like mindset and i studied my ass off into like every single thing and when you realize that like the things that are available are either extremely expensive Or they're extremely ugly, no offense, but it's just like hospital wear. And I think that people associate disability with hospital and they don't remove themselves from the fact that at the end of the day, there's just people who, I mean, if you don't want to be fashionable, that's fine. You don't have to, but at least you have the option. And people who have disabilities don't have the option out there. There's a lot of talk in the disability community. I follow some disability advocates yeah. on Instagram. Obviously, Instagram is like my only portal to the world Love now it. that I'm a mom. Um, <laughs> and there is this like subtextual conversation that happens about not wanting to be an inspiration, mm. not wanting mm-hmm. to be like, Jillian, we well, call, she's an inspiration. We Ins- call it inspiration and porn. porn. Yeah. Do you actively choose to be an activist or is it a label that is put on you? Mm-mm. I actively, I've always had it in me. I just didn't label it as being an activist. But I think as soon as you realize you have a disability, as far as like it's a negative thing, you become automatically an activist if you see that it's like wrong. I've met people who don't care if anybody says like, you know, if, if you know, there's an inspiration of porn happening or they're not really conscious that, you know, there's people that think that you're less than and they live their whole lives like that and it's like okay that's great for you I just don't think that's fair I just want to be respected as much as any other person what do you want next world domination I think you may be close (laughs) Jillian thanks so much thank you thanks for joining us today Latina to Latina was originally co-created with Bustle now the podcast is executive produced by Juleka Lantigua Williams and me Amita Ganatra was the sound designer on this episode. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. 
send us ideas for guests, or talk to us about what's on your mind right now. Remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. And please leave a review. We love hearing from you. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.